the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, we come to chapter 12, where we see Jephthah get into a civil war with Ephraim, one of his own tribes. And after him come men who act less like judges and more like kings seeking power. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 12, verse 1. The title of the message is Two Paths. Judges chapter 12. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Judges is it shows us why we need the King of Kings. Despite the fact that God has raised up individuals who have led the nation out of bondage and back to the Lord, they have not been the final answer. We need the King of Kings. And as we've been moving further and further through Judges, the Judges that have been raised up, it's, it's gone worse and worse. And so when we get to the end here now with these last two Judges that we get the most information on, Jephthah and Samson, it's going to not be good. When we think of two paths, usually you say, we got two paths in front of you in life. It usually calls to mind the wide road that leads to destruction and the narrow path that leads to life that Jesus spoke of. But as John Bunyan illustrates in The Pilgrim's Progress, we as Christians, can often meander off the path of life, even if heaven is our sure destination. Jephthah is a saved man. God has used him mightily. He's in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. But instead of trusting the Lord, Jephthah has this bad habit of taking matters into his own hands, his foolish vow, and what we're going to see in chapter 12 here today. And taking matters into his own hands has brought about pain that never needed to exist. As we contrast his legacy, Jephthah's legacy, with Samson's beginning, we're going to see two paths for the believer. And may it encourage us to choose the one, the path that Samson's parents took. So chapter 12, we begin in verse 1. Now, remember, at the end of chapter 11 is Jephthah's victorious over the Ammonites. But when he comes home, remember, he made that foolish vow, and his daughter comes out of the house first, and so now she's going to have to dedicate her life to serving the Lord, be set apart for that. This has just happened. And so in chapter 12, verse 1, on the wings of that disappointment for Jephthah, now this happens. And the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together, and they went northward, and they said unto Jephthah, Wherefore passest thou over to fight against the children of Ammon? And you did not call us to go with you. We will burn your house down with fire." Doesn't exactly sound like the best way to greet your triumphant general after he saved you from the Ammonites. Ephraim was the largest and the strongest tribe in Israel. 
But the Ammonite invasion had rocked them onto their heels. So they're here to kind of ensure that the pecking order in Israel doesn't change. It doesn't change. We're still the big boy on the block. We're still the big tribe. We're still the most important tribe. Now, you got to remember back to Jephthah's story. Jephthah had lost everything because his mother was a prostitute and not his father's wife. And so when his younger brothers were born, they kicked him out, and then Jephthah took it up with the local judges, and they sided with his brothers. Jephthah has been bullied his whole life. He has now just gotten his house back after suffering at the hands of bullies amongst his own tribe for years. So this is not a new thing that the Ephraimites had done. Remember when Gideon defeated another group that the Ephraimites came and said, hey, why didn't you call us? And remember, Gideon diffused the situation with diplomacy, with grace. So unlike Gideon here, who used diplomacy and grace to defuse Ephraim's pride, Jephthah has had enough of bullies. And so in verse 2, Jephthah responds to them by saying, I and my people were at great strife with the children of Ammon. And when I called you, you delivered me not out of their hands. And when I saw that you delivered me not, I put my life in my hands, and I passed over against the children of Ammon, and the Lord delivered them into my hand. Wherefore, then, are you come up against me this day to fight against me? Now, we'll get to all the I, me, and my's there in a second, because that's a lot of them. But Jephthah's basically saying, for 18 years, my homeland, my tribe, bore the brunt of the Ammonites' incursion. You had all that time to stand up and help, but you didn't. And when I did ask for help, they said, why didn't you call us? He goes, I did, and you didn't come. When I did ask for help, you didn't come. So you know what? I'm tired of the lies. I'm tired of the excuses that people have been using to justify mistreating me. You want to burn my house down? Come and try. (laughs) And so verse 4 says, Then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead. He says, you want to burn my house down? You want to start a civil war? I'm ready to fight. Come and try. Now, as I said earlier, there's a lot of I, me, and my in verses 2 and 3. I actually have them underlined in my Bible from a previous message I heard from someone else. And see, this is the difference between Jephthah and Gideon. Gideon was a spiritual man who didn't take things personally. Jephthah did. Good leaders cannot take things personally. They can't. Because Ephraim isn't the enemy here. Ephraim's not the foe. Their pride, their disunity, their failure to recognize the miracle God had done in defeating the Ammonites, that was the enemy, not the people of Ephraim. And thus Jephthah ends up attacking the wrong thing. As parents, we can't get all offended when our children don't do what we want them to do or they disappoint us or anything like that. We can't be good leaders when we do that. As spiritual leaders in the church, you can't get offended when someone criticizes you. You have to try to identify what the real problem is and attack that. And the real problem is someone's wrong ideas or the enemy behind those ideas, who is the enemy of our souls. There are many who would applaud Jephthah here. Finally, someone putting Ephraim in their place. But is that really what God wants and is that how God calls us to be? We read in our scripture reading in Proverbs 15, It starts off in verse 1 by saying this. 
It says, a soft answer turns away wrath. But King James says grievous words. It means harsh words stir up anger. Gideon was a solid leader because he turned away wrath through soft words, through gracious words, recognizing the real foe, which was the people who had had them in bondage all those years. On the other hand, Jephthah just stirs up strife. That ends up pulling two tribes into a civil war. It's interesting. It says here in verse 4, then Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, but explains why there was a war. For it says, the men of Gilead smote Ephraim because they said, you Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. In other words, Jephthah escalated. And then what happened as a result? Then Ephraim escalated. You know, one of the things we tell people when we do marriage counseling is we say, someone has to decide to stop escalating. Someone has to be the person to say, this hurts and I think you're wrong and I'm really angry with you right now, but I'm not going to keep escalating. Someone has to decide to say, I'm going to start to de-escalate. So keep throwing the darts at me. I am not going to look at you as the enemy anymore. And that did not happen here. Jephthah looked at them as the enemy instead of facing the real enemy and ended up escalating the problem. And the men of Ephraim, they did not back down either. Now, I'm sure Gilead wouldn't have let their leader's house be burned down because that's who Jephthah is right now. He's their leader, their governor. But the Ephraimites' angry response to Jephthah offended everyone in Gilead, and it sparked the war that followed. They said, well, you're a bunch of fugitives. The word there means escapees, criminals or cowards, as if Ephraim was the only important tribe in Israel. And so it says, the Gileadites, verse 4, it says they fought with them, and they smote Ephraim. And verse 5 explains how that went, how the battle went. And the Gileadites took the passages of Jordan before the Ephraimites. So they actually went around them after they smote them. They won the first initial battle, went around them, and blocked off the Jordan River. And it says it was so that when those Ephraimites, which were escaped, said, hey, I need to cross over the river to get home, that the men of Gilead said unto them, are you an Ephraimite? And if they said no, well, then they said unto them, well, say now Shibboleth. And if he said Sibboleth, for he could not frame to pronounce it right, then they would take him and kill him right there at the passages of Jordan. And there fell at that time of the Ephraimites 42,000. 42,000 Israelis lost their lives in a civil war here because no one could de-escalate. Now, there are two letters for S in the Hebrew language. You have shin and sin. One is for S, the S sound. One is for the SH sound. Apparently, the Ephraimites could not pronounce the SH really well. And so that's how they would signify that you were an Ephraimite, even if you were lying and saying, no, 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 I'm, a, I'm from Zebulun, man. I'm way up north. I was down here visiting my grandmother, you know, in, uh, in Gilead, you know, and then got stuck up in the war, and now I'm just trying to get home. Well, they say Shibboleth. And if they couldn't pronounce it correctly, they killed him right there. And 42,000 Ephraimites, 42,000 fellow Israelites were dead. And so, verse 7, Jephthah judged Israel now for six years. Then died Jephthah the Gileadite and was buried in one of the cities of Gilead. So Jephthah now becomes more than a leader of Gilead, but having conquered Ephraim, he becomes Israel's ruler, Israel's judge for the next six years. 
And his death left a void for more unspiritual rulers to follow after him. Look at verse 8. We see three judges after Jephthah. And after him was Ibzan of Bethlehem. He judged Israel. And he had 30 sons and 30 daughters whom he sent abroad and took in 30 daughters from abroad for his sons. And he judged Israel seven years. Then died Ibzan and was buried at Bethlehem. Now, this is not Bethlehem of David where Jesus was born. This is Bethlehem of Zebulun. It's about 10 miles north of Megiddo, a place that would have been less touched by the Ammonites and the Philistines who were attacking on the west at this time. So here's this guy who judged Israel for seven years. He was their leader. What did he do that was so special? What did he do that's going to be remembered for all time, for all believers throughout history? Then he had a lot of wives, and he violated the laws about marrying out of your tribe. Now, why would he marry his kids to those that are outside of his tribe? To consolidate power and property, what kings did. But Israelites weren't supposed to do that. Land was supposed to always stay with the original tribe it was given to. If your line died out, it would go to your nearest of kin. And that way the land always stayed with the original tribe it was given to. This guy brings in wives from abroad and sent his daughters abroad to be married to other men out there so he could consolidate more property and more power for his family, the thing that kings do. So that's the thing he's remembered for, violating God's law by having multiple wives and moving the ancient landmark. Verse 11, And after him was Elon, another Zebulonite. He judged Israel, and he judged Israel ten years. And Elon the Zebulonite died and was buried in Aijalon in the country of Zebulun. Nothing is said, interesting is said about Elon except his tribe. So it seems that Ibzan, the previous judge, made sure that power stays where he consolidated it. So Elon is just a continuation of Ibzan's influence in Israel. We come down to the next judge, verse 13. And after him was Abdon, the son of Hillel, a Pyrethonite, and he judged Israel. And he had 40 sons and 30 nephews that rode on threescore and ten donkeys, and he judged Israel for eight years. And then Abdon, the son of Hillel, the Pyrethonite, died, and he was buried in Pyrethon in the land of Ephraim in the Mount of the Amalekites. So again, Abdon, with all these kids, he had to have had multiple wives to have that many kids. So he's just a repeat of that king mentality. So here we see that path of self-will, of trying to preserve what you have, and of ruling rather than serving. Well, now we come to chapter 13, and we're going to see a different path. And we're going to actually go back in time a little bit here. For it says in verse 1, chapter 13, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, when it says Israel did evil again, it just means they added to the evil that they had already done. This is not a new evil after Jephthah's death. This is simply referencing Judges chapter 10, verses 6 and 7, which summed up that the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hands of the Philistines on the west side and the hands of the Ammonites on the east side. The west side was Philistines, so it was the, you know... West Side Story there. So that's what we're doing right now. So we already covered the Eastern Judgment, the Ammonites, and how God delivered Israel from that. Now we're going to get into how God will deliver Israel from the Western Judgment through the Philistines. And it mentions here that they were delivered into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. That is the longest period of bondage ever. 
in all of the book of Judges. This is the worst judgment that God has wrought upon the nation of Israel, the longest one. Now, since this judgment does last longer than the Ammonites, it actually continues for 16 years after Jephthah's death, which is why it's listed second, why we get the Ammonites' destruction first. Now, just as God's soul grieved for the misery of Israel because of the Ammonites in verse 16 of chapter 10 of Judges, and they put away the strange gods from among them and served the Lord, and his soul was grieved for the misery of Israel, just as God's heart was grieved for the misery of Israel and he raised up Jephthah to deal with the Ammonites, God now raises up someone to deal with the Philistines. However, as we're going back in time here before Jephthah here, the problem is that someone, unlike Jephthah, this someone is not even born yet. And so we're going to actually meet his parents before we meet him. It's verse 2. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. Now, Zorah is a city in the tribe of Dan. It's about 13 miles west of Jerusalem. It's near the border of the tribe of Judah. And the Danites, remember, Dan had a very rough time with the Philistines at the start when Joshua gave them their land. They were constantly being pushed up into the hills and out of that coastal valley down there by the Mediterranean Sea all throughout the early years of Israel's conquest of the Promised Land. Many, in fact, in the tribe of Dan had left the possession that God gave to them there, and they went searching for better lands up north. And so when you see the tribe of Dan on maps, most of them are up north. So these are guys who, this is a family who stuck it out, and their descendants are now living under the oppression of the Philistines. Now, Judges 3.31 shows us that God raised up the judge Shamgar to push the Philistines back. But because of Israel's sin and rebellion against God, things are bad right now over there on this side. The Philistines are winning everything, and Israel's absolutely miserable right now. So if you are Danite right now, life is hard. And it's into this situation where life is already hard that God speaks to an interesting couple about his plans to rescue Israel. Why was life interesting for them? Well, not only was life hard because of the Philistines, but it mentions that his wife was barren and she had had no children. Now, since Israelites considered children a gift from God, they viewed barrenness as a mark of divine disfavor, like you were cursed by God. So, added to all the misery around them because of the Philistines that the entire tribe's going through, there was personal pain. There would be no one to pass their inheritance on to, even if they could keep it from the Philistines. So in their mind, according to everyone, it wasn't just the Philistines that was against them. Even God was against them. Maybe you're in a situation like that right now. Maybe you're thinking... God, I was already in a, a crisis. I didn't need to lose hours at work. How am I supposed to move forward with all this craziness going on added to my plate? You know, do you care about me? You need to know. <laughs> know that you know that you know. The Lord loves you. And he wants to speak truth and hope to you, just like he does to this hurting couple here. Verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now. You are barren and bear not, but you shall conceive 
and bear a son. Now therefore, beware, I pray you, and drink not wine nor strong drink. Wine would be a fruit-based fermented beverage. Strong drink is grain-based fermented beverage. So I pray you, beware, I pray you, don't drink wine nor strong drink, and do not eat any unclean thing. For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So we don't know the situation, but it just mentions that the angel of the Lord appears to this woman. We don't know where she was. We do know her husband's not with her and she's not at home. So wherever she is out and about, the angel of the Lord just appears to her. Now this Phrase is often used to refer to a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, but it is likely just an angel here based on his behavior with them. It could be the Lord, but I personally think it's probably just an angel. Now he says to her, behold, which means check this out. Please listen. This is important. And it is important. He's got a message from the Lord for her. And God's word has been my biggest refuge during my own personal crisis. It always has answers for me, even if they aren't the answers I want to hear at that moment. You know, sometimes I drag myself outside in the front porch where I have my devotion time out there, and and I drag myself out there and make myself start reading his word. Because even if it's not, the word isn't, I'm going to heal you right now and take away all your pain and take away all your problems. I know that he's got something for me. He always has something for me. If you're in a personal crisis right now, don't run away from God. Run toward him. Take a different path than Jephthah did. Jephthah decided to take everything in his own hands. He said, forget the Lord. All this has happened to me. You're doing all this to me. And so I'm going to take care of me. That is the path that leads to pain. This is the path that leads to truth and hope even in the midst of pain, and enables you to overcome and to look forward. We sang that song, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Good song. It's a good song. David said, I would have perished if I did not believe. I would have given up. I would have thrown in the towel if I didn't believe to see God's goodness in the land of the living. Don't try to take matters in your own hands. Run to the Lord. He will speak to you. Now, it says, Behold, now you that are barren and bear not, you shall conceive and bear a son. This wasn't just for her own benefit. He will be for Israel's benefit. And therefore, they have the all-important task of raising him uniquely so that he can be the leader that Israel will need. And so in verse 4, he explains that calling that's upon this kid's life. Now, therefore, beware, which means be careful, pay close attention, I pray you, and drink not wine nor strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. Now, Israelis were not banned from drinking alcohol ever, but they were banned from eating unclean animals. So the fact that the angel had to mention this in addition to everything else he's going to say shows how far Israel had fallen during this period that they were eating unclean animals. It's funny If you go to Israel, they do have some hogs that are in the wild. But given the fact that they are unclean animals to Israelites, to Jewish people, and also to Muslims, who are the primary large populations there, 
basically you can find a dead pig on the road from time to time and they don't, nobody touches them because they don't hurt them. Nobody uses them. Everyone's allowed to kill it if they see one and then they just leave it there because it's unclean and no one wants to pollute themselves. So it's sad because this is a different Israel we're studying right here than even the one that lives today. They had these animals around and they were eating them and interacting with them. So he reminds her, he says, none of that. Why? For lo, you shall conceive and bear a son and he'll be unique. For no razor shall come upon his head for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. The word Nazarite, it means a consecrated one, a devoted one. The normal Nazarite vow is found in Numbers 6 verses 1 through 12. So I'm not going to read through all that. But the idea behind the Nazarite vow is a man or a woman would take this vow when they wanted to dedicate a period of time of their choosing to be set apart for the Lord. They would say, God, I'm giving you the next two weeks, or God, I'm giving you the next three months, or God, I'm giving you the next six months, or the next year. This could be for the purpose of serving God. Maybe you'd help out in the tabernacle or the temple later on. You could be for the purpose of serving the people around you, or just a purpose of getting away with the Lord to seek Him. But the point was, is you were dedicating a period of time to do that thing, that that would be your main focus. This child's vow would start at birth and last until his death. His entire existence would be consecrated, dedicated to one thing. And it's right here. For he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.